Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Brian Netzel, a Buffalo comedian turned professional vagabond. Brian's been doing stand-up since 2014 and decided, since he's got three festivals this summer, he'd just get in his car and travel the country. Kind of jealous. He's been filming his trip, and he's also writing a book. Brian's going to be at the Savage Henry Comedy Festival in Eureka, California, headlined by Eddie Pepitone on October 6th, 7th, and 8th. Then he's coming back to Buffalo. I had a lot of fun with this one. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. You can also follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in So, where are you? I am currently in a shopping mall parking lot in Bakersfield, California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because like, uh, I know you're a Buffalo comedian. But like, yeah, that's correct. I've been loosely following your journey, and I know mm-hmm. the last I saw you were at the North Carolina Comedy Festival, and then yeah, there was a post you made where it's like, I don't think I'm coming back or something like that. Like, I'm just gonna drive. <laughs> yeah, well, I had like almost four weeks between the North Carolina Comedy Festival and the Savage Henry Comedy Festival in Eureka, and I'm like, this is like probably the fourth time I've just traveled and slept in my car which they call boondocking right which is like you know you're not sleeping in an rv or anything you're just kind of pulled over and sleeping so i had four weeks to travel there i'm like i'm just gonna take my sweet time and just you know screw around see what happens see where i end up so you're what are you two weeks into that a little over two weeks i think i'm not really sure i start when i started this it was uh end of august and i was on my way to maine and then from Maine, I went down to North Carolina. So I've been going since it's, I think today is a month I've okay. been on a road. You did Portland, right? Yeah, Portland, Maine, okay. which is great. It's a fantastic city. It's very similar to Portland, Oregon, which I'm going to after Eureka. But like the similarities are crazy. Maybe when you get to Portland, Oregon, be like, man, I, I got lost. And I was supposed to be in Maine <laughs> or, or I went to Maine first. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck Oregon. Oh, man, I could get lost in Portland, Oregon. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a beautiful city. And they have so much comedy, dude. They have like, it's something like 35 mics a week. Or Are you some kidding shit. me? No, and like all their shows and everything. I know a few Portland comics and they always hook me up every time I'm there. But yeah, they have so much comedy going on. I mean, it's a cool city otherwise, but the comedy there is ridiculous. I don't know, man. I see it in the news. <laughs> on the, you know, the one <laughs> station. And they, they're oh, saying yeah. bad things about Portland. <laughs> Uh, I did not see one single uh, Antifa riot or whatever they call. You're kidding me, because that's all that happens no. there. <laughs> no, I didn't see any anything on fire while I was there. Everyone was super cool. <laughs> I saw some Japanese gardens. Those were nice. <laughs> have you seen The Wire? No. Okay. I okay. really watch TV. <laughs> well, no shit. You don't have a house or a... You gotta, <laughs> So in one of the seasons of The Wire, they basically, it's set in Baltimore and the cops basically, they're trying something. They're kind of giving up, but like saying, you know what? We can't, we can't salvage this area. So let's just have anything that goes. 
as long as you guys aren't killing somebody and it happens in this yeah. area away from like the other people, then we're fine. Uh-huh. So when all that news happened with Portland and the 10 cities uh-huh. and, and just, oh, they gave up. Like, it's just mob rule. I was like, man, this is right out of the wire. It's gotta be. I mean, I don't trust any of the news to no. begin with. Cause I always like, I watch the news and then I go to that place and I'm like, Oh no, this place is great. What are they talking about? Well, maybe this is like part of what, like I'm, I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I duck in and out of like the Russian, the Ukraine war. And yeah. I was listening to a story yesterday. And like, yeah, they're still trying to get wheat out of there. And I'm like, yeah, you still have to do business there. And in my brain, yeah. I was like, Oh, they have war. Everything's shut down. Like, no, it's a big country. And they're still yeah. like providing what 80% of the world's weed or whatever it is. And I'm like, Oh, that makes complete sense that they would do it. But my brain is like, no, like, so if I saw Portland was on fire, I'm like, Oh, the whole town's going to you know, <laughs> Portland's a big fucking city. Yeah. It's a, it's a giant city and it's, it's so pretty there. And so beautiful that like when people, this will be the third time I'll be going to Portland. And uh, when people are like, oh, is it still all crazy there? I'm like, I don't think it was ever crazy to begin with. Right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But the news is so one dimensional that it just like it wants to take one part of your brain and just work on that forever. You know, I don't I don't watch it. I like I'll read Reddit and that's it. I can't imagine that's healthy either. Probably not, but it's definitely more interesting. <laughs> I just got on. I'm not deep into Reddit at all, but I just yeah. I have an account and I'm learning mm-hmm. how to do it. And I, I don't have the attention span to really learn. And I'm a former journalist. So like part yeah. of me is like, OK, well, I'm still I was never like a TV news guy because uh, in my brain, like uh, I was a sports reporter and the TV cameraman, like if we're if I'm doing like a baseball game or an NFL game, mm-hmm. the cameraman and like Jay Mariotti, all these guys who are on TV, yeah. they just, they'd bump into you and wouldn't apologize. Like, no, we got to get the shot. It's like, <laughs> you dickhead. Yeah. Like, we're, you're going to be looking at our copy later and taking our work. So yeah, I, so I, have, I have a problem with them. Anyone, the, yeah. It, like I work in film. So if you ask anyone, like, who the most important person on the film crew is the cameraman will always say themselves because everything is like dictated by the camera. Like no matter what else is going on, if the camera needs something, it's got to have it hands down. And I kind of agree to an extent, but Uh it's like, I'm not collateral damage. (laughs) Like like at least say, excuse me or whatever, but I just schedule our cameraman. And Uh it's crazy because like if the cameraman isn't there, a lot of people think, and for a print newspaper, a lot of people think that you weren't covering it, and really? like, and, or you didn't give a shit. Yeah, so like, yeah. there would be there would be a big like two big games, and if we had one cameraman, it's like, okay, well, which one do we choose? And and you choose the one that works best with the art, and it's a gamble. Uh-huh. And it's like, if you don't have a cameraman, they're like, oh, you didn't care about us anyway. Otherwise, you would have sent it to art, <laughs> to the cameraman <laughs> our way. And I'm like, like you can't fucking win. Like, give me more money for another reporter, and we'll do it. Yeah. Oh, it's a weird world, man. Yeah. So I'm working it out of it all the time. This is a, it's strange. Are, are you freelance? I am both union and freelance. Okay. So like I'll work on union film projects. So I'll also do freelance film projects and a bunch of other like I'll do whatever for money. I will do anything that will make me a lot of money except go get a nine to five job. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> You've got self-respect. Because if you want. Yeah, dude, if you want to like. And I, I talk about this all the time. If you want to make a lot of money and have freedom, like you have to quit your nine to five. Yeah. 
because like that whole system is just designed to not like make you poor, but it's, it's designed to keep you just above water at all times with minimum time off. Yeah. You're dependent on that paycheck. And for like, sure. For see, a lot of things. Yeah. A lot of money I make is by producing comedy shows and yeah, mm-hmm. especially during the summer, it it's a bitch because yeah. people, people can pull out. You're not selling as many tickets, but the, alter- sure. the alternative is like, Oh, I ha- like, I don't have to set an alarm most days. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and that is the greatest thing ever. Like when I left the newspaper business, I was, you know, I was second shift and mm-hmm. I started selling books and toys on Amazon and I made good money that way. Yeah. But the best part of that job wasn't the money that was bringing in. It was, okay, I don't need to set an alarm. And also I can watch the Mets game at seven o'clock and eat dinner at a regular yeah. time. And like, there are all these little things that I didn't, I kind of took for granted for like eight, nine years in a newspaper business. And I'm like, wow, I, I forgot. Like, I don't need to have my phone on me all the time. I do, but I don't need it. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm not on call. If a news story breaks, I'll have to go there. I can just read it in the in tomorrow's paper if I want. Totally. And imagine if you had to, like, like you're young, right? Like you're 39. Okay. You're young enough. Well, like you're you're also old enough to know that like you don't want to do that for the next 30 years of your life. Like no. you don't want to go to a place, have to earn a, a meager paycheck and then be dependent on them for your retirement and your health care. And it's like, I don't know how people do it anymore. And now that I'm out of it, there's no going back. Yeah, you got you probably get used to that lifestyle. And it's like, well, I there's no way I can do it again and conform. I, I remember when I. I got a job as a copywriter and, and I had it for a year and they were like, no, you're not, you're not doing this anymore. But, <laughs> but I got there and it, it was so weird, but I'm in the interview and they're like, why do you want to work for us? And I'm like, yeah. I kind of miss being around people. And, yeah. and, and I kind of blame the office because yeah. I had gotten into watching the office and I'm like, Oh, that was kind of fun to be back in an office setting. And then I was back in that right. office setting. I'm like, Oh no. This isn't exactly what I, there's no I'm Michael <laughs> Scott here. There's, there's Jimmy. No. I don't have a Pam. I don't have a, you know, yeah. like, like there's all these weird stuff. I'm like, no. No, it's, it's not entertaining at all. It's just mind numbingly boring. It's very, very depressing to me that people do that every single day of their life, almost every single day of their life for years on end. They go to a place that's in a building with fluorescent lighting and they're surrounded by people they don't like. They're not making that much money. And it's just, I don't, I, I've never understood that. Cause like today I, I just woke up on the side of the mountain at sunrise. Like it wasn't even a campsite. I just drove up a mountain and just crashed there. You know what I mean? And I could do it today if I wanted to. It, like to lose that, like I like making money and I will, when I get back in town, I'll go to work and I'll make some money and then I'll go do this again. But to just, keep plugging away at a career for someone else's benefit just doesn't seem like a way to live for me anymore. I assume you're not paying rent in Buffalo right now, right? Uh, well, I own a house in Buffalo. Oh, okay. Okay. I have three people that live with me that, you know, help out with bills, but it's like, it's a win-win situation. I got someone watching my house and they pay half of what they would pay normally in Buffalo. Okay. I'm wondering what your living expenses are per day. Like, like, what do you think you're spending a day to live how you're living? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. I mean, it's mostly just gas Yeah. more than anything. But if I'm in like day before yesterday, I was in Vegas 
and uh, I was hanging out with an old army buddy. And like, you know, we're hanging out spending money. But like, besides that, maybe I'll spend $60 a day in gas, you know, because <laughs> I'm like sleeping at rest stops or free campsites or Walmart parking lots where they don't chew you away. Yeah, they're not supposed to let you stay there, right? Uh, well, they do, but it's on like an individual store basis. They have a website with a map that has like every Walmart in the United States and it has all the ones that are cool with it and all the ones that are not. So I use that as like a last resort to where I'm sleeping. I'd rather sleep at like a rest stop or, you know, a bureau land management site like yeah. I did last night, which are all over the place, you know, and most of the rest stops are super cool with you staying there overnight. But that's it. Like, I'm not paying for a hotel or anything unless I need to. I have a friend. She lived in an RV for like two or three years, maybe a little more. Yeah. And she just came back to New York and Mm -hmm. her husband has family here and they like took over his house or their house. Yeah. So she's back with indoor plumbing now. But she absolutely loved living the RV life and just Mm -hmm. being a vagabond and making friends on the road and yeah. just at, at these sites. Have you made friends on the road? I mean, non-com- yeah, you non-comedy every, friends? Yeah. Every single day I run into someone who, you know, I hang out with for a little bit and then, you know, I never see again for the rest of my life. That's like a daily occurrence. It'll be, you know, someone on a disc golf course. It'll be someone at a campsite. You know, it'll be someone wherever, whatever I'm doing, it could be someone at a gas station, but I'm constantly, I think about that all the time. I'm like, man, shouldn't I like be getting lonely or something? <laughs> but I'm not. Cause I'm constantly like talking with people, but I think it makes like the connection to humans easier to make when you're not surrounded by people all the time. You yeah. know, it, it becomes easier to like create strong bonds with strangers and then just, you know, briefly hear their life story. And then you move on to the next place. You know, I was in uh, this place called Cosmic Campground, which is a campground in New Mexico. And it's one of the 14 international dark areas of the world. So it's like one of the darkest places. So you can see the Milky Way with your your bare eye. You know what I mean? Like with the naked eye, you can see it. You can see all these stars and everything. And uh, this one dude that was camping there, he's just like in his 50s, ex-Marine, and just like Sold his house and just he's just been living in his car for years. Like he had like a Honda Pilot, and <laughs> not even an RV. He's just like, I'm just gonna. This is much better for me. He had his dog with him and everything. He's like, oh yeah, last year I walked the Pacific Crest Trail, and this year I'm gonna walk the Continental Divide. I'm just kind of do whatever I want. Like he has no concern for anything whatsoever. Like no attachment to anything. He's just alive and seeing the planet. And I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds cool, but like, I would want a couch. <laughs> you know, like, like that basic I mean, I, stuff. I like, guess. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I get real comfortable in like dumb situations that would make normal people uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people I talk to that say that same thing. They're like, oh, well, I need like a TV or I need like a bed. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. I don't need any of those things. I guess like I you get just, used to it too, right? Yeah, you're perception really changes like anytime i start out on this i'm always worried and like anxious about like oh man where am i gonna sleep where am i gonna take a shit where am i gonna eat how much is gas gonna be in these places then like one weekend i just have zero care for anything i'm just like completely sequestered myself from the rest of society and then i'll go back to my house and you know i'll I'll fall right back into that again i'm sure 
I had a buddy who he went to Atlantic City for the night and uh, he goes, I didn't even get in a hotel. And I'm like, oh, what'd you do? He goes, Well, I had a guitar. So like I was at a party and I started playing the guitar, and then someone, a woman, asked me to spend the night. And I'm like, Well, that's that's a good way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. There's I don't know. There's ways to crash. You just got to be a little resourceful. And eventually, like after doing so many comedy festivals, you have so many friends in so many different cities that if you really, really need to, someone can put you up for the night, you know? Yeah, you can go to and like, that's that's okay. really what it's makes it so much easier is to be able to have that as a backup plan. But it's it's been rare that I, you know, haven't been able to sleep in my car somewhere. Right. I can't think of a single instance where I was like, oh, shit. I guess I can't sleep in my car here. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start doing comedy? Uh, 2014. Okay. I think. And that was in Buffalo? Yeah. 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 yeah that was at, uh, my first mic was at Good Bar in Buffalo. I've heard good things about it. I've never been there, not for it's the mic at great. least. It's fantastic. It's been eight years. How much has the Buffalo uh-huh. scene changed? Uh, it's grown exponentially. When I started, there was two mics and helium. So there was Good Bar. There was a mic at this place called Broadway Joe's, which was absolutely awful. But that was the only place you could get up on stage. Yeah. Nietzsche's was still going, but you couldn't. It was like a showcase that was booked. So like when you were new, you couldn't you couldn't get any stage time there. And helium, you know, it, it could take sometimes weeks to get on that list if you were new and they didn't know who you were because you had to sign up by email and like. If they didn't pick you, they didn't pick you. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing about helium from RJ McCarthy in Syracuse. Oh, yeah. And I love RJ. Yeah. Everybody does. And he, mm-hmm. he has to get back on stage at some point. He, uh, He's so funny. He took a, yeah, he took time off to, to write. Like, I think he was going to write a book or a TV okay. show or both. Okay. So I just, I wanted to get back on stage. But he was like, uh, you got to go to helium. And then he's like, but also, also it's, a, it's three and a half hours from you. Yeah, and you might get four minutes, and I'm like, yeah, I, for me, I couldn't justify making that trip just mm-hmm. for the mic. But I've heard great things about. I've been hearing awesome things about Buffalo yeah. since I started doing comedy in 2016, and I finally started. You know, you're one of them, but I finally started booking people yeah. in Syracuse and Rochester, like reaching mm-hmm. out to Buffalo a little bit more. And holy shit, I haven't found an unfunny person yet. I'm sure they're up there, but uh, it seems like that scene's pretty deep. Yeah, even like our our comics that are newer and don't have that much experience are all super funny. Yeah. I think it's just the standard in Buffalo is so high that if you can make people in Buffalo laugh, then, you know, you're going in the right direction. It's just real, real hard to make so many downtrodden people laugh. (laughs) (laughs) It takes it takes a lot of skill to take, you know, Buffalo used to be the second poorest city in the country. I didn't know so that. I think, yeah, yeah. We were right behind Detroit for like decades. Wow. So we really have that poor downtrodden mentality. So if you can make them laugh, you could usually make any other city laugh. And I've seen so many comics in so many different smaller scenes like Buffalo across the country. And no one is as funny as the scene there. I wonder if like, because the bills are doing better, like I wonder yeah. if that's going to shape the feeling of the city because generally if a football team does better, <laughs> the economy improves too. So I, yeah. I don't know. That'd be weird. If Buffalo gets a Super Bowl title, will that yeah. change anything for the, the town's outlook? Uh, 
That's a great question. Uh, I don't think the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl because it's <laughs> Buffalo. You can't, you can't uh, think I, that because like, you're just going to be disappointed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I watched them lose four Super Bowls in a row. You right. know, I was I was there for all of them. But if they if they did, I don't know. Buffalo is on such an upswing right now compared to where it was, like the way I remember it from the 80s, that I don't know how much better it can get, really, because it's from then until now, it's a completely different city. It's it's wild to me. Like there's industry there. People are working and making money. Like there's new homes being built. Like that didn't happen in the eighties In the eighties. You just wouldn't go to Buffalo. You just, you had no reason to like, unless you got free tickets to something, you weren't going to drive to downtown Buffalo because it was bad. It was real, real bad. Yeah. I saw a band, a lag wagon up there in December and my girlfriend went with me and it was a great show. And Mm -hmm. we go there and I mean, I don't know what I expected because I, I hadn't driven yeah. around Buffalo in the city, maybe ever. And because yeah. I went to I went to Milky's for a show. Oh, in nice. Like, yeah. And like and that's is that Buffalo or the outskirts? That's Buffalo. OK. okay. So but I, I think it was just in and out off the highway and mm. on the highway. But we stayed in a hotel and it was gorgeous. We walked around the city and it was December. It wasn't quite snowing yet. I think maybe a little bit. Yeah. But it was it was really beautiful. And my girlfriend's like, we have to go back there. And I'm like, it's not exactly like next door. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a bit away yeah. for sure. But I, I, don't um, know. I, but I was it, kind yeah, of impressed with it. It's so pretty and accessible now. And like, uh, where'd you go see the show? Mohawk place? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Yeah. I've been there. Man, I think. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, that sounds about right. And that whole area, too, has just changed so much and that whole that whole main street theater district like you weren't even able able to drive down it before you know years ago like they they ripped up the whole street put in like this mass transit train in and then you can drive and then immediately all the businesses shut down and closed in that area so like for the better part of uh you know a decade and a half at least it just sat vacant and no one lived downtown you just you wouldn't there was no reason to unless like you really wanted a cheap place to live and wanted no one to bother you while you did hard drugs do you think that makes you a funnier person growing up in a place like that for sure yeah i think uh having looking at uh the world from a lower class makes you a funnier person absolutely i think people who come from stable environments to me aren't as funny you know, if you if you grow up in a functional home where your family had enough money to get you the things you need to be a proper person, uh, <laughs> your humor is probably not for me. Yeah, I feel like you, to be funny, you have to want for things. And if you have, yeah, you have to have that desire for attention, you know, that you didn't get or, you know, it's. It was a self-defense mechanism or it was a way to cope with the world because the world around you sucked growing up. I always feel like like I use him as an example, like Matthew Broussard is Mm -hmm. really, really funny. He's a great writer, but he's Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Like, like you look at me like nothing has ever been wrong in his life. And, you know, that's not the case. But I feel like like if if you are (laughs) let's go nice. If you are a bit odd looking or. Uh, if you yeah. were made fun of in school, like that's that's your ammunition for later on stage. 
And totally. I, so like, I'm 100%, like, yeah. like, you know, people made fun of me in school. I'm like, okay, okay. And I, I had a, but I was able to develop like good comeback skills. And for sure. I, and then you, you become self-deprecating because like, Hey, they are having so much fun making fun of me. Must be fun. Let me give it a try. And yeah, it's, it's a self-defense mechanism. Yeah. I did the same thing. You know, I was always bullied growing up and uh, you know, we never had much and you know, my family life wasn't great. So it was like, you just had to find a way to laugh about stuff and uh, you know, cope with people bullying you by making fun of them and making them cry <laughs> with your words. Cause you couldn't, you couldn't beat them up cause you were, you know, less than four feet tall or whatever. Like I was, you know, I was little. I remember, God, I was in eighth grade and this bigger kid is huge. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. he's probably five. I'm going to say, I'm going to get both measurements wrong, but like, let's say five, eight and two fifty. you know, it's a big kid. Yeah. And you know, at 14, 13, and I, yeah. he's making fun of me and I turned to him and I'm like, I'm way skinnier than I am now. And I said, Brent, two words, slim fast. And you can make that joke because that was topical at the time. That's how old, yeah. old I was. But he chokeslammed me and I'm like, that's a good comeback. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all right. But like that to me, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm an asshole. I'm a wise ass and I got what I deserved. Yeah. But like. Like, I don't know. For me, I look back on that. And I'm like, okay, I wanted attention on me and I got For it. Sure. So I'm like, okay, how can I transfer this, that energy into something semi-productive? Yeah. And I think every comic's in, in the same boat, every comic that I would want to listen to anyway, you know, they all, they all have similar stories of that sort where they needed to be funny. Like there was no other choice. It was either be funny or be depressed, you know? Yeah. And that was kind of the humor's the shovel to dig you out of that hole, you know, always, at least has been for me. Any, and then any time in adulthood where I had something going on that, you know, was uh, stressful or causing anxiety or depression, like the first thing I did was bring it on stage. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I, I went through a breakup uh, a few years ago and I think I was talking about that maybe the day after. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because I, I made it, <laughs> I made a joke as I was in a dark moment where I thought about killing myself. And I brought yeah. that on stage and I had the joke and it was too fresh and too honest. Yeah. And it didn't work. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, let's rethink, <laughs> let's rethink that one. And I think I ended up just cutting it off. Like, okay, let's not go a step deeper. And now the joke, yeah. I, I have it with me. It still works. I'm like, okay, that's okay. Let's, let's, yeah. let's back off a little bit. But I, I just, I think it's therapeutic. And like, I go to therapy as well. Uh, and I think that's Same. essential, but like, but like, uh, cause I don't want to bring all my therapy on stage. I feel like I need a filter. No. <laughs> like, no, uh, don't be that guy. There's yeah. enough people doing that. <laughs> like, There's I'm enough like, people at, at open mics being like, oh, I got molested as a kid. It's like, ah, man, maybe <laughs> we don't want to hear about that right yeah, now. Yeah, like try you it know, out. Like, try it on somebody with a license first. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's a bit for your therapist. Maybe, you know, the crowd doesn't want to go right to the, the stuff that is your trauma like maybe dance around it a little bit first <laughs> do you ever how often do you go to therapy uh i have currently three therapists uh one i see every two weeks uh one i see every three months and then another one i see every month okay how do you keep them straight uh they send me emails with my appointments and i put them in my calendar <laughs> 
that's how. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. And like I, I have one tomorrow, and it's so like it's bizarre because now I gotta like move my trip around to have cellular data to right. like make sure I can get my therapy done. Um, which isn't a problem, but like without that, I'm off in the woods, like with no data whatsoever. I'm just, you know, completely on, un- if I know I have nothing going on for the next week, I will completely unplug. If you miss an appointment while you're on this trip, do they get worried? Uh, maybe I'm not sure. It's never happened. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have free therapy through the VA cause I'm a veteran. So okay. I don't know. I don't know how much they would care <laughs> about it i think they'd just be like ah because they've canceled appointments on me and like not told me i've been like oh that's cool all right well i guess i'm not doing therapy this week <laughs> fine hope i don't need it really yeah i hope nothing traumatic happens or comes <laughs> up so i can not have a terrible time i do this i'm definitely guilty of it do you ever i've been trying my jokes out on my therapist sometimes really like, yeah and like not like try like Cause a lot of what I do is like centered around how I bombed this night or how the shows mm-hmm. went or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I got really? this joke, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not asking him for critiques, but like there are some times where I'm just like, yeah, so here's the joke and I'll just go into it. And you know, <laughs> she likes it usually because you know, my copay, uh, it clears. So like, yeah, it works. <laughs> but do you ever try material or like gauge a response on what one of the members of your team um i've never done i've never done written material for my therapist but i will riff on things uncontrollably you know what i mean because comics do it all the time like a topic comes up and you're just gonna you're just gonna talk about you're just gonna riff about it and be like oh that'd be like this Uh, i'll do that a lot and that'll get laughs but like a lot of times it's like (laughs) it's like oh shit that's right you don't have a dark sense of humor my bad (laughs) i'll go back (laughs) to just talking about my trauma without, you know, funny references. <laughs> I remember I was, I think I just started doing therapy and I wrote a joke where I'm like, I'm like every time I leave, I feel good. And then like 10 minutes passes mm-hmm. and I start having this anxiety about, well, what do I talk to her about next week? Because like <laughs> I, I gave her all my good stuff. Like, I feel like I have to create a new set list of problems to entertain yeah. her. And like, I, I'm like, so I go in there, I'm like, there are a couple times where I'm like, I just don't feel like being there really. But I, oh, I sit, but I sit down I'm like, well, I got an hour. I got to perform. I got to do something for her and just keep yeah. her entertained. And so I don't know, like, uh, I just, I feel like there's a pressure and I don't think she would think that, but I'm like, well, she's giving me her time. It's like people at an open mic. It's like, well, you gave me seven minutes. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm going to use all of them. Yeah, I need to I'm be here. efficient for me not to. That's the only time I'm on, um, so she on this just- couch for a week. She just lets you just ramble and that's yeah. that? No, no. She's pretty good about it. Uh, uh, my girlfriend will joke. She's like, I think you need a new therapist because uh, you guys are friends. <laughs> she's like, you guys are friends. Oh, man. Because I'll go in there and sometimes like like we were doing uh, it was therapy over like Zoom uh, over the pandemic. Yeah. And she told me a story about how like uh, she's got a new dog and she's not supposed to have a dog mm-hmm. at her, her old apartment. And so now you right. know what happened. But her landlord saw her with the dog and then like right. 12 minutes into our session, she goes, Oh, hold on. My landlord called. And then she found out that she had to either get rid of the dog or be out by the end of the month. Oh man. Yeah. So you had to talk her through that. <laughs> we switched roles. So it was, uh, it was very yeah. clear. And then 
probably for like 20 minutes, we looked like I was on rent.com or whatever site. And we were yeah. both looking for new places for her. Oh man. And I'm like, I don't know how much I'm going to get out of this, but yeah, I'm, I'm here to help you, I guess. Holy shit. That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, that it poor was, thing. <laughs> but like, what hey, kind of person gets a dog when they're not allowed to have a dog? Like how, how much do you got to set yourself up for failure? She's already got three cats. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dude. She should not be giving anyone advice. I'm no, sorry. Not at all. I'm all right there. But I've got, th- I've got three cats. So it's like we're we're there at that level. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, I'm all right with it. But no, we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about like King of Queens and everybody loves Raymond. Uh-huh. And if I can find somebody who can talk to me about TV shows, I'm with you for life. Yeah. Oh, no shit. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a therapist. My therapist is like so by the book. And it was just like following like a schematic of things you're supposed to do. If you're a therapist, it's it's like, she's reading it out of a textbook. Cause she'll be, she'll just ask me all these questions one after another, after another, after another. And then she'll give me like an assignment for like until the next time. So the last assignment she gave me was, she was like, I want you to think about your most frequent nightmares. I was like, for the next two weeks, you want me to think about my most frequent nightmares? Like fuck that, dude! I don't want to think about this shit. <laughs> like, I'm not. Like, I'm not gonna sleep for two we, weeks. Yeah, we get a half an hour, and that's when I unload all my stuff. And beyond that, I don't want to think about all those things. <laughs> yeah, like I don't want to do homework. All right, like I'll give you this. Exactly. I'll do the classwork. Yeah, I know I'm getting this therapy for free, but come on, <laughs> don't do that to me. So, what made you start doing stand up? I mean, it was something you always wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Since like a young age, like I, I'd watch comedy at like six years old when, uh, like the com, I think back in the day it was called the comedy channel. Yeah. That's when it came out. And the only thing they played was stand up clips and movie clips from funny movies. That was it. That was the only two things on the entire channel 24 seven. So I would just watch that. Like as a kid, when we first got cable, that was like the only thing I would watch. And I would just watch stand-ups and funny movie clips. And ever since then, I was like, I could do that. And I would just, growing up, I would just make people laugh all the time just with words, you know, or doing something silly or whatever. And then uh, I just finally got the nuts to get on stage at 34 years old or whatever it was and, uh, you know, start telling jokes. Yeah, I was 33. And I don't know if you were like this, but I, I made so many excuses for why I didn't start. And I was like, no, yeah. I got a second shift job and I don't know anybody in the area and ah, it's going to conflict with this job. And I was like, no, just when I moved up here, I was like, fuck it. I have no more excuses. And I'm 33. Yeah. So I had to get on stage. Like, what was that moment for you where it's like, okay, enough fucking around. I had a girlfriend at the time and I had mentioned that I wanted to try and do comedy. And she immediately, I I kicked her out soon after this, but she immediately said that I wasn't funny. And she didn't even like do it in a, in a humorous way. She just looked at me and was like, you're not funny. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. So then I, uh, I threw her out and I started writing a lot of jokes. I think my first like month I wrote like 13 pages or something. And then, uh, I found like the best four to six jokes or whatever and then i just recited them in my head until i finally you know got to an open mic and signed up for once because i would go and just like watch them at first like i think i hit up two open mics and just like sat and watched before i actually decided like oh okay i can do this the first open mic you went to did Mm -hmm. your 
thought process change about like how easy it was going to be? Um, I think I, I drank like three beers before I went up and, uh, like three good beers, like three IPAs, high alcohol content. Um, I had my notes in my pocket and I went up and I didn't have to use any of my notes. Like I just remembered it from the top of my head and I had to follow, uh, there was a, (laughs) there was this person in town who was, they weren't really a comic, but they were, um, they were a mime. Oh no. And, uh, so back back in the day, like if you were new, you just went up first. Like they would make the lineup based on who signed up, and if you were new, you automatically went up first. But me, be, it being my first time, I was still better than the mime, so <laughs> I got to go second. <laughs> uh, so I had to follow a mime. I riffed on that, and then it just it went way better than I thought it was going to. And like people laughed at the punchlines and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, that wasn't that hard." I was like, "I could probably do that more." Yeah. And then the next six months, I just ate my balls on stage. I have a theory that like everybody loves everybody on the list, like all the comedians, they love to see a new comedian and they will be so welcoming and they'll laugh at their first set. And then I think it's like just a way to trap us. And then the next six months are a nightmare. But you've already (laughs) you've already gotten that good experience on stage. So you're chasing that. Uh And then before you know it, your life is kind of ruined. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it's ruined i mean i yes it is like a cult mentality for sure but without comedy i would never have done all the things that make me happy today yeah you know i would have never quit a career in the food service industry i would have never started doing film stuff which started getting me film jobs like without having comedy there i would have never been able to do all the things that I get to do now that people are like, wow, I can't believe you did that. I'm so jealous. I I wish I could live like that. You know, I would have none of those things had it not been for the decision to like go up on stage, which is weird to think about. Like it's such a small thing, but it changed my life for the better so much. Yeah. Well, I I know for me, like I started at 33 and I Uh had just moved back into the Binghamton area. I was in Maryland for a while. Yeah. And I came here and I had no friends really in town. And mm-hmm. I start doing the open mics in Binghamton. I'm like, oh, you know, they're weirdos. I mean, all comedians are fucking weird. But like you kind yeah. of like, oh, well, I, I relate to that person a little bit. And that person laughed at my joke. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hang out with him or she's cute yeah. and I'll hang out with her, whatever it is. But you kind yeah. of you eventually develop a new friend group. And and I don't know if you were like this, but at 33, it's hard for me to make friends. So, yeah. Like, okay. We're all essentially, it was like going back to college or wherever. It's like, you're in this bubble mm-hmm. and now you're hanging out with people. So I always say, no matter how well I do a comedy or how pissed poor I am, I've got relationships with it. And I think it's, it's definitely a good, mm-hmm. a, a good move. Yeah. It's uh, I have so much evidence that it's made my life better, that it's, it's undeniable. And a lot of people will be like, God, oh, comedy just ruins your life because all you want to do is comedy it's like yeah if you just if you only go to open mics and you expect to just climb the comedy ladder one-dimensionally by doing that then yes you're probably gonna have a piss poor time (laughs) i mean it's probably gonna ruin a lot of things in your life and i think i've seen that happen to people but if you use it as a vehicle to network with other cool people and you know kind of explore yourself and find out who you are and find out what you want to do and 
find out where, where your goals want to be with it. And then you start to use comedy to, um, as a catalyst for those things, then I think it's super healthy, but I think it's, that's true. And, you know, if, if you decide to do anything in, in life that you're passionate about, eventually something's going to shake out of it. That's positive for you, you know, unless you're just going to Mike's to like drink and blow all night or something which (laughs) there are people that do that and then they're funny and then you know you don't see them ever again because they're dead uh we don't have to talk about don johnson here (laughs) i don't even think don drinks that much to be honest with you um shout out to don (laughs) (laughs) but i think all that stuff that is like culty about comedy i think you can use it for good for your own life but i mean without comedy would you have gone to portland maine or you know, nope. I mean, you, you wouldn't go on to North Carolina. I mean, like you're, you're meeting all these people, you're, you're in these vessels and it's, it's forced you to travel the country or allowed yeah. you rather. I would have never been able to even have this mentality had I not done comedy. And this is like, I'm a guy who just likes, likes new experiences constantly. I just like to keep doing new things. And I think comedy just gives me a reason to do that. You know, it's, I, I suppose I could go out and just do this stuff on my own, but I think it would still result in some kind of re- comedic artistic endeavor either way. I think it would, it would boil down to me doing something or writing something funny. Right. At the end of it. Are you doing anything as far as like, like documenting your travels? I mean, aside from like, um, you know, having material about it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm writing jokes for sure. Uh, I'm definitely videotaping a lot more stuff than I thought I would. Cause I have a filmmaker friends. So it's like, Oh, you should make a mini doc about that. And I was like, all right, well, I have, you know, multiple cameras with me. Let me just explore the idea and see what happens. And then I just started writing like book style a lot. And I've never wanted to write a book or have experience writing a book, but I found it very easy to write doing this. So I just started cranking out like, you know, some days I was cranking out 3000 words a day on a book, just like, like nothing. And I was like, oh, that's, that's like pro level number. <laughs> oh yeah. Without a doubt. Is it like a yeah, like right. Chuck Klosterman type thing? Like, here's a diary of what I've seen? Uh, Kind of. It's more like a, a Jack Kerouac, Mark Twainy thing. Where you're just like, it's mm-hmm. it's talking about where you've been, but it's also like talking about the worldview that you feel during that trip, you know? Yeah. In a comedic way. So I'm trying to like, trying to put a, a comedic spin on it, but it's just coming out naturally, you know, <laughs> because it's something, if something crazy happens to me, which like it's gonna, it, it always does every day. There's something completely whack or I do something super dangerous or like there's a day where I had to shit in the woods. You know what I mean? But like, I wasn't camping. I was just like at a park. It's like, those are all things that happen on a daily basis that are hilarious. Um, and I think once you remove yourself from, the distractions of normal daily life, then I think you can just the floodgates open and into the creative part of your brain. And it's so easy to write when you're not at work or like you're by yourself or there's no cell phone service. It's like you just kind of give your brain the opportunity to decompress and open up a little bit and, you know, give your brain a chance to express itself. How many people have asked you, like, do people check in with you and say, Hey, you doing okay? Or you tired yet? You coming back? No, no. <laughs> What's no that say about anything. you as a person? I, just like, <laughs> I don't know. 
I think they'd always just, because I've always been super independent. So maybe they just know that like, that's how I am. But yeah, no one has texted me to be like, hey, how's the trip going? You know, I, I will say that there's one person, uh, my friend Mallory, they'll check in with me every now and then just to make sure like, hey, where are you at? Or like, did you enjoy Vegas? Yeah. Stuff like that. You know, I, I do have one person that checks in with me, but like, not comics though. Comics don't care what, <laughs> what you're doing. I got down during the pandemic and I booked so many uh-huh. shows and like, yeah. I'm, I'm in communication with a lot of people, mostly comedians. Uh-huh. And then when the shows dried up, I thought yeah. about it. I'm like, man, nobody's, nobody's reaching out. And <laughs> <laughs> so as soon as I had, I booked my first show at Barrett Acorn in April yeah. of 21. And I posted pictures of it and we had like 50 people or something like that. I had four messages from people I hadn't talked to in a year. (laughs) Hey, can you get me on that show? And I just want to be like, dude, you didn't didn't say hi to me once. You didn't say, how are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I couldn't be mad because I'm like, I didn't check in on many people either. (laughs) So like, like it's a a two way street. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing you learn. I mean, the one I have like one comic that I'll check in with and that's Don, like I'll communicate with Don, you know, probably every other day I'll, you know, we'll talk about just whatever, just to make sure that, you know, he's not losing his mind and him vice versa. So like, I, th- I think you only need like one solid comic friend to like get by. And as long as you got that, you're doing okay. I think if it's, I think it's when you got zero people <laughs> that it's an issue. Yeah, it's definitely a worry. And I, I think I've yeah. got like I've got two or three, probably two comedian friends. No, yeah. I, I would I would say three. I could definitely count on to check in on me if anything's going badly or weirdly. Yeah. So what what were the festivals like? Oh, festivals are great. I don't know if you've ever been to a comedy festival, but they are I've not. the absolute I've not. They are the most fun I think I've had as a comic. And I I haven't had one festival. I know there's some bad festivals out there, but I have not seen any of them. They are just like immediately upon getting to the festival, you're you make like new friends immediately, you know, like within five minutes of showing up to the first venue, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to hang out with these people. And then, you know, you go to the next show and you're like, oh, this person's cool, too. And you just make these solid friends that you now will see at other festivals across the country. And now you have a friend at that festival. So you don't, you don't have to go in without knowing anybody. And that happens a lot where like you just, there's people I know only from comedy festivals, you know, but I know that that person's funny and I get along with them and stuff like that, but they're just, it's just such a great way to expand your comedy experience. If nothing else, you know, I know from doing this podcast, you know, I made friends with a lot of festival producers Uh and, I'll look at like a, you know, North Carolina comedy festival. Like I guarantee I've talked to like 10 people in that festival on this podcast and, and I don't live near any of them. Oh, probably. And it, yeah. you just, you just, the names become familiar after a while. It's like, oh yeah. I remember, let's, let's take Don Johnson again. Like I know him obviously, yeah. but it's like, Oh, he's, he's in Plano. He's at yeah. big pines, like doing all these things. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. I, I know Dwayne white. I know, you know, it's, it, uh-huh. it's just crazy how small of a world it is after a little while. Yeah, it is. It's very, very interesting. And to be able to like be on shows with these people is just, it's incredible to me that I get to partake in like that little stupid 
unique world. You know, it'd be like, oh, I was like, like me and Don did a show in uh, at uh, the festival I'm on my way to now, Savage Henry. And like, we did a show with Sam Talent and we were all just like, at like some weed dispensary. And it wasn't even like, I was like, Don, we're on a show with Sam Talent. He's like, I know. <laughs> I'm like, we're up right before him. He's like, I know. I'm like, that's fucking rad. Like, dude's got a just book like out. little moments like that. That's what I mean. <laughs> so it wasn't the best part about that was it like, it wasn't even a, a great show. Like it started raining and it started getting cold and it was an outdoor show. And like to watch Sam talent just completely destroy in that environment and like get to see it like right in your face and like be on that same show. I don't know. You just get all these special moments that you can, you can take with you when you leave that are moments that you don't get to have just doing comedy in your local scene. You know, I talked to Cass Smiley from Alaska and the before he died. Oh, right on. I love her. Yeah. yeah. I'll bring up the Buffalo, Bo- the Buffalo boys. And yeah. she has some sort of like love affair with, I don't know if it's your, your <laughs> mentality or how funny you are or how nice, but yeah. there's some reverence that like, I'll mention you guys and her face lit up and it's, it's incredible. <laughs> so like, this, yeah, she's fantastic. There was a lot of our first festival. I think me, John, Don and uh, Edo, I think that was our first festival. Yeah. But yeah, that whole thing, like that was just a special bonding experience with all these cool people. Cause we were staying at this artist house, which was just a free place to crash on a floor at an Airbnb that cast got for the artist. So like you were sleeping in the same house with people from Cleveland, people from LA, people from Portland, people from New York, people from Toledo, Ohio. And it was just like, I was like, Oh, this is, great (laughs) this is fantastic and i think if you put people from buffalo in something like that we're just like we're so happy because we appreciate even the smallest things that we will just we will speak nothing but glorious things about your festival for years to come (laughs) so anytime she gets all these festival applicants in for each year it's always like how did you hear about us it's always like oh brian etzel or don johnson (laughs) (laughs) he's like the amount of applications i get with the two of your names on it is just insane it's like she booked pr agents totally but like (laughs) no one will give you a better more honest opinion of something fun than people from Buffalo. Cause we just, we love to love things, you know? Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned, were you in the army? Yeah. Yeah. I was in the military for seven years. Okay. I'm dumb. Is there a difference between the military and, and the army? Yeah. The military is like, the military is like the whole thing. Okay. And it's like the army, the Navy, the Marines, the air force, the coast guard. And like the army is just like the army. So, like, okay. the Army is its own separate entity, like the Air Force is and, like, the Marines is. And the military is everything? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, what branch were you in? Uh, I was in the Army National Guard. God damn Guard. it. Okay. National Guard. All right. I was like, if you're just going to say yeah. Army, I'm like, what do we do this for? <laughs> <laughs> Has that helped you? Like, the discipline you had there, let's say, do you think that is, like, uh, part of what helps you stay focused and, and, and becoming a better comedian? Uh, it gives you a good work ethic or it gave me a good work ethic. I can't speak for everyone, but it definitely like they do a good job. And this is what my therapist tells me. They do a good job of being able to remove emotion from your focus, allowing you to just like put your head down and, and work at whatever you have to work at. Mm-hmm. So I think that has helped. It's given me a, a drive to like 
want to see things through. So like it, and my friends will say this all the time that if something comes out of my mouth, I'm going to do it. You know, like if I have an idea, I will, I will do it and it's, I'll figure out how to make it. So, you know, and I think as, as long as I haven't had like great comedy success, but I'm still doing more than I thought I would when I started doing comedy. I think like there's a work ethic that's associated with that for sure. I also wonder if you're in the national guard, if you're in one of those military branches, does having a dark sense of humor, does that help you survive just everything you have to do there? Uh, I'd say so because you'll just, if you're a comic and like, if, if you're a young man or a young woman who's going in the military and like comedy is a future for you, you'll do well in the military because people there want to laugh at their situation. And it's very, they're very easy to make laugh. They're a great audience. I've never done like USO shows or anything like that, but I, I would love to do something like that someday because I know that I know how that audience is already because those were all my pals when I was in the military, was right. just making those people laugh. Yeah. I just, I would think like you, you see the most, I mean, I guess it would depend on your situation, but like you see awful situations and like, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you recover as a person from doing that? And my instinct would be to make a joke about it. Totally. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the same. I think that's a healthy way to deal with it for sure. And after, you know, going through therapy, especially going through therapy in the VA, you know, they, they would agree with me that uh, humor is one of the healthiest ways to deal with traumatic experiences for sure. Do you remember the worst show you've ever had, the worst set you've ever done, like anything that went disastrously wrong? Yeah. I remember, (laughs) I'll say that the show that made me feel the worst about (laughs) comedy. That's perfect. Um, I did a show, I was like maybe a year, year and a half in. Someone couldn't do a corporate gig. So one of my friends had, uh, uh, my friend Chris Gullo, I don't know if you know who he is. but No, I don't. He's, uh, he's a local Buffalo guy. He's hilarious. You should have, he does wrestling announcing as well. If you want to have an interesting dude on your podcast, Chris is definitely up there. But Chris had this corporate show that he couldn't attend. So he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I got this corporate show. Uh, it pays $300, you know, maybe you and another comic could, could split it, split the time. You each have to do like, I think it was like, we each did 20 minutes or something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. Cause when you're a year and a half in, you have to take every single gig. Yeah. And I had no business taking a corporate gig with the material that I had. Like, even now I wouldn't want to take a corporate gig. Like I could do it and I could muddle through it, but I just like, wouldn't feel good about myself at all because they're just not like. They don't want to laugh. They just want you to say funny things about their office or whatever. Yeah, like know? they don't really want to be there. They're just there. They have to be there. For sure. And, and someone decided that comedy was a good uh, entertainment choice for, for that event. So I get to this event and I, I bring my friend uh, Jimmy Pitt, who is a guy that used to work at the comedy store as a doorman like a zillion years ago in like early 2000s. And uh, he had hooked me up with a bunch of shows. So I was going to you know, have him headline and I could open for him. But we get there and he doesn't want to headline. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So we could just still split the time. But we get there and it's it's a dentist office, I found out. And there's one dentist and then the rest is like, I don't know if they're dentists or not, but the the rest of the room, there's one man and the rest of the room is like 70 middle-aged blonde women. So like this dude just only hired blonde women for his entire like practice 
And I remember sitting there being like, shit, there is nothing that I have to say to these people that's going to land at all. So uh, my friend Jimmy goes up, he does his 20 bits. It's, it goes terribly because it's 70 middle-aged white women who work at a dental office for one guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get up and it was during Christmas time. And I started to do this joke about Krampus and not a single person out of the entire audience knew who Krampus was. <laughs> oh, like, no. oh my God, this is going to go so bad. I didn't get a single laugh from start to finish. And it was, I never felt so bad about comedy after that. And they paid me like, and they paid me in such a way that was just like the most, like I was like a line item, you know, and I've never felt so unartistic or uncultured in my life. Like I may as well have worked at that dentist office, you know, (laughs) that's how I felt. And that was just like, after that, I was like, I'm never doing another comedy show that is just for money ever again. <laughs> like, I like making money and that's great uh, off of comedy, but I'm never going to be like, no, you know what you got to do, man? You got you to gotta get in on cruise ships. That's where all the money is. Or you got to start doing corporate gigs and clean up your act. You can make a lot of money. Like, I couldn't. Everything changed after that. I was like, nope. <laughs> I'm going to be a dirty comic who does his own material on his own terms from here on out. And I did. <laughs> Do you remember what you spent that money on? Did you buy anything nice or was it just uh, like, okay, mortgage? It was probably mortgage stuff. I'm sure I was broke at that time. There was a time where I was doing comedy where I wasn't working a lot and I didn't have any roommates and I was like about to lose my house. I think it was like right around that time. So I really, really needed the money. Yeah. So you're not like, going to say no to 300 bucks or whatever the split was. No. Not for any, I could have been cleaning toilets and I would have said yes to it. In fact, I probably would have got a better response cleaning toilets than doing comedy <laughs> for these people. They I were know, just like, they I were know this didn't go well, but here's what I can do. It was like, they, they smiled and like nodded like, oh, is this over yet? And I was like, ah, fuck. This is the part of comedy that people talk about that they hate. And there's a reason for it because none of these people have souls. <laughs> do you remember like a, a really bad heckle you got. Like, like I had one, one time where somebody screamed, when's the next guy coming out? <laughs> and, <I was> like, <laughs> and my response was in four minutes. <laughs> like, so oh my like, God. is there anything that stands out? Uh, I did a show where uh, someone screamed. What did they say? I said something. I was talking about, I don't, it was something super white. Like I was talking about something like super white guy. And someone just screams out, that's because you're white. And everyone <laughs> in the audience laughed. And I was like, fuck, well, you got a point. It's like, all right, well, that's, thank you for my closer. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, that's enough for me, folks. I mean, comedy, it sucks sometimes, you know? That's just the way it is. It's not always going to go great. And even the best comics that I respect the most have rough shows and bomb. That's the nature of the beast. So you do that show for the dentists and or the assistants or whatever. What what tells you to keep going after that went so poorly? You got to do your time. That's the fucking that's the fact of life of comedy. Like no matter how bad it's going, man, you got to sit in the sit in the cockpit and land that plane. Come hell or high water, you got to you have to do that time. And if you win them back, great. And if you don't, you still got to sit through it and do that time. But after that set, like, OK, do you say, oh, do you say, OK, well, fuck it. It was, it was just the audience. It was a setting. I am funnier than that. I know I am. Or are you thinking maybe it's not for me? 
<laughs> no, I could never quit. I don't know what else I'd do. Like even now, I, I don't know. There's n- <laughs> there's no reason for me to keep doing what I'm doing without comedy. At the time, I was just like, well, we did it. We did a show for a bunch of uptight dentists. And that's that's what happens when you do a, a show when you're a year and a half in for uptight dentists. You know, I was very objective about it. I was like, I will write more jokes and try to come up with a set list that's better for the corporate world, maybe, or maybe I won't. Either way, I have to keep going. I think like five years ago, I would have I would have crumbled and I, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I probably would have kept going, but like I don't know. Now what I would do is I, I would take that set and that whole situation and I try to write a joke about that and say, okay, well, that yeah. sucked. How can I how can I get some positive out of that? And I think that mm-hmm. comes with experience. And because now like I like something happens where somebody says, Oh, when's the next comedian come on? I'm like, okay, well, I can either internalize that or I can tell people about it on the podcast and hopefully get a laugh or, you know, it, yeah. make it a good story. Like a long time ago, I was stabbed and that sucked obviously, but I like the fact that I was stabbed because now I have a good bar story and because yeah. not everybody was stabbed. So I'm like, okay, so are you able to find the positive in something negative pretty quickly? Yeah, I think I'm always trying to do that. I think you have to just as a as a human, no matter what it is, you got to figure out, you know, what can be extracted from a terrible situation and move on from there because it's going to keep happening. Like terrible things are just going to keep happening to everyone. That's just the way that the world works. No one can get through life without terrible things happening to them or to people that they love. So I I think that's the that's the way to battle against having it weigh you down is finding you know, the way to get through that. Now, if I have a bad show, I'm like, okay, let's look at my set list. What about this set list didn't land with these people? How can I adjust this set list to, you know, if I was faced in the situation again, how can I adjust this set list to make sure that it would land? How can I get them on my side? You know, what's the, what's the save the cat instance for these, this audience. And I look at that a lot. I'm like, okay, here's, uh, my demographic, here's what worked in the past, here's what didn't work in the past, and then, you know, make your, your judgment calls for what jokes you're going to use after that. And I think experience has a lot to do with that. That's why you see experienced comics be able to handle so many different audiences so well. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself rooting for not something bad to happen, but something interesting? So you can tell that story on stage or or write it in a book? Uh, I will put myself in a comfortably dangerous situation a lot uh, because I think it's, I think it's fun and interesting. And I do this a lot when I'm driving is I will find a road. That's not a road I should be driving (laughs) (laughs) because it's either not meant for cars or it's in a super bad redneck area where I know they don't know like New Yorkers just because I feel like, it's some kind of suffering that you can put yourself through that you know you probably 90% of the time you'll be fine in, you know? It would have to take an extreme situation on someone else's part to, like, make that a bad situation. But I think in comedy, I don't like to, like, dig myself a hole like that. I think in comedy, I like to start out on, on the ground level and then go up a little. But yeah. I know people that will just be like, no, nah, you got to 
you got to get them to hate you first. <laughs> oh, I no, I'm not comfortable with that. Like there are comedians where I'm like, yeah. I, I think the, the biggest skill is seeing them lose a room and then win it back. And yeah. I, I'm not confident in my material enough that I can be like, Oh, let me, let me get them to hate me first. You know, I'm like, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I'm not lot, doing that. I a want lot of times like, like me immediately. Yeah. Like a lot of times, like I, my charm will help me. It'll give me the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, I, I need, mm-hmm. I need all the help I can get. So when are you, yeah. when are you coming home? Essentially? Like, like when does this journey uh, kind of lead you back here? I don't want to say end, but do you have any plans on coming back East? Yeah, I do. I have to, cause I have shows. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't have shows, I don't know what would happen. I saw, I was in, uh, I'm, I'm going to try, I have shows like end of October. So I'm going to try and be back mid October. But if I didn't have any shows, I don't, I don't think I would come back. I think I would just stay on the road to be honest with you. I saw a sign. I was in this place called silver city, New Mexico. And it was just like this real small old mining town that turned into like this hippie art community, which I'm not into at all. Like that's not who I am. I mean, I'm kind of a hippie, but I'm not like, I'm not going to plant roots anywhere and be an artist or anything like that. But I saw this sign in this little shitty cafe that said line cook wanted it. I was like, huh, I can just stay here for like a month. Right. (laughs) Like what if I just did that in other random cities that had comedy scenes? What if I just stayed in Bakersfield, California, which I know has a a small comedy scene. Like what if I just stayed here and got a job at the Regal pouring popcorn for people just for shits and giggles and slept in my car. (laughs) You know, I think about that a lot. Yeah, Brian is always Brian's know. always early to work. Wonder why that is. Well, his commute is a block. <laughs> he's he's yeah, in his he, car. Well, he sleeps. He sleeps in the parking lot, so he's you know he's always on time. <laughs> no, but that'd be, that'd be yeah, an interesting I story. I mean, because you got to figure like there are a lot of people who probably do that. I mean, I see it on TV shows at least. Mm-hmm. Well, there. I mean, there's people in New York sleeping on couches. This really isn't any different. The only difference is I'm not in New York. You know. I suppose I could be, but I like the thing that keeps me out of huge cities and huge comedy scenes is I like to be outside and I like to be in nature. And if I'm not like 20 minutes from a disc golf course, I get a little squirrely. So like I could do that in like Atlanta or like somewhere, you know, similar to Atlanta, but I don't think I could do that in New York or LA. I think it's just, it's not enough isolated nature for me. You know, that's what makes Buffalo so great. It's like the comedy scene is so amazing. and Everybody's so good and the comedy club. So good. And we have all this stage time you can get, but also like I can just go in the woods and fuck off by myself and just like get replenished from the woods. Like I said, I, I haven't heard anything really bad about the Buffalo scene. Nobody I've talked to has mentioned the woods though. That's new. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I love being outside. One of my re- regular questions isn't, so how much how much time do you spend in the woods? Like I feel like like I'd be reported. <laughs> it's so true, man. Comics are not outdoorsy people. No. But because well, first of all, they're not in any shape whatsoever to be hiking. No comic <laughs> is in good hiking shape. Like I'm in good shape because I go to the gym every single day. Uh and I do hiking and I'm out playing disc golf and I'm, you know, climbing mountains and shit. But I'm the only one I know that can do that. All of my friends are like, nah, that ain't for me. Like I was hiking out with, uh, I was with Don. We were in Eureka and we were just hiking in this park and uh, we were just going too fast for him. Cause I just, I don't know any better, you know? And he's like, ah, 
you have to go on without me. Like you were leaving them there to die or something. I was like, oh shit, that's right. Everyone who's a comic is like not in uh, insane shape like I am. Yeah. So it's like you're kind of it's kind of a, a solo activity, I think, which I'm fine with now. But I I need it as a part of my life to be outside to like feel sanity and like kind of reset myself and you know get some sunshine and get my brain back to zero again. That's one of the things as a human that I that I discovered I also need. You know. So you're gonna come back to Buffalo in mid October when winter yeah. is gonna set in. Yeah. Some would say that's bad timing. Uh, some would say that, but some of those people haven't been sleeping in the desert in 90 degrees at night when it's too fucking hot. Very true. Dude, it's like, try to even like sleeping in a tent when it's 90 degrees or like trying to sleep in Louisiana when it's 90 and humid on top of it. It's like, uh, it's brutal. So I'll be looking forward to the fall weather and the snow for sure. After all of this dry heat and nonstop sun, it's. I'm not saying it's getting old, but I would definitely like some balance in my life. Well, dude, I appreciate you doing this and talking to me. And I'm just, I was so interested to see what you're doing. This is so, from what I think, it's unique. And I'm glad that you're, you have little destination points to say, okay, well, if for nothing more than to keep you on a schedule and say, okay, well, I have a, yeah. an end point to this, but I mean, I'm glad everything, all the festivals are going well and you haven't, mm-hmm. you know, been murdered yet. And that's fun. <laughs> there's still time. I think I'm on the road for another three weeks. So there's plenty of time to get murdered. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, is there anything you want to plug? I mean, social media, anything you got coming up? Uh, we have, if anyone from Buffalo is listening to this or anyone's going to travel to Buffalo, there's a show me and Don are doing at Tudor Lounge. It's a Halloween show. It's called uh, Two Comics, One Set. That's where we bring up two comics and uh, they have to do the entire set like that. It's similar to like bumping mics, but their whole time is split between themselves and not like one at a time. Like they have to do it together. And it's a really unique uh, way to see a comedy show. So if anyone's in or near that area, they should definitely go check it out on Halloween. That's awesome, man. You got social media to plug? Uh, Just my name on all of them. They have a unique name like Netzel. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. Well, People keep telling me I should start a pretzel company because it, it rhymes with Netzel. I was like, that doesn't, that's not how things work. <laughs> that had to have been like a nickname of yours growing up. Oh uh, yeah. I've heard it a billion times for sure. <laughs> it's like, right, one more person. Tell me that. And uh, we're done. Yeah. I think I'm just going to make a t-shirt and just try and sell it as merch. It just says Netzel's pretzels and it's got a pretzel on it. I mean, and then that's it. Well, you, you capitalize on it. It's like, okay, well this, this haunted me all of my yeah. life. At least I'll get a buck out of it. Yeah, totally. And I think I started writing a joke somewhere. I don't know. I haven't looked at my joke notebook in a while, so it might be in there somewhere, too. We'll figure it out. Nice. Well, again, man, thank you so much for doing this and, and stay safe. Thank you. And of course. And uh, yeah, I'll see you when you're back in New York. All right. Sounds good, man. Thanks a lot. All right. You got it. Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in